Welcome back. Thank you for being here. Welcome if you're new. You're about to hear a conversation with a new friend I made, Mary. And part one is actually part two, the second part that we recorded, because I was a guest on her podcast. She interviewed me, and I'm putting bits and pieces of that, a pretty big chunk of that at the end of this episode. I'll come back and and let you know when that's happening. But this is the second part of our conversation. We recorded them both back to back on one day. And unfortunately for all of us, Mary is in high demand. She had to get to a dinner party. And so we spoke so long before we started recording and then on her podcast that this one's only about 45 minutes because she had to go and we weren't even going to record it at all and what you're about to hear is us talking about what she said to me so i was guest on her show which is called mary's cup of tea and then instead of recording for my podcast and recording an interview with her she suggested that i just air that conversation where I was a guest here and I was reluctant to it because I wanted to interview her and I'm glad that I did and we didn't have as much time as I wanted so I hope she comes back but we met for the first time here and Mary is so wise and and we have this really interesting conversation around our age gap and how that impacts how we both interact with social media and our thoughts on it and we talk about marketing and how that relates to basically how I'm terrible at it and what that means and and it was a really lovely afternoon to get to spend making a friend and and recording it for all to hear so if you're new to Mary go and check out her podcast and her work she's written multiple books and Like I said, her show is called Mary's Cup of Tea, and you're about to hear a brief interview with her where she shares, well, you'll hear. And then I'm going to come back and tee up part of the conversation that we had on her show because of advice that she gives me here, which is talking about myself a little bit more on this podcast. And some of you might be like, oh my God, more of you. We hear so much of you already. So if that's how you're feeling, then you'll want to sign off around 40 minutes. But for the rest of you who somehow want to hear more of my voice, it's a really interesting conversation and it goes into to several different directions that, that Mary gets us into. And, and maybe I share something new or in a different way. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Mary, for doing the podcast. All the links to everything we talk about is in the show notes, including how to keep in touch with Mary. And we talk a little bit about my creative clinic. So if you want to know what that is, links in the show notes. Here we go. But you're like, can I tell you something? I was like, oh God, what's it going to be? But it was <laughs> it was really nice. Well, I... I hope it came off the positive way that I intended it, but I just interviewed Katie on for my show and there were so many things I, I learned about her. And as a listener of Let It Out, I'm like, 
I want this to be published on Let It Out too, because I wonder if there's so many listeners that crave more of you. And despite you being a very skilled interviewer and having a lot of really cool guests on the show, there are sometimes when you have a conversation with a guest and you say something and then I'm like, I want, I want more of that. <laughs> and I just got a lot more of that. So I feel really lucky. It's so funny. Well, first of all, thank you for saying that. And that's so nice. It's funny because I am afraid of being repetitive. And I feel like everything in that interview that I said, I've said before in some mm -hmm. way, but maybe that's not true. Maybe I, maybe there is something in there that you who listen to the podcast haven't heard. Yeah. And, you know, you're in a different place in life. So you say it differently or there's like new listeners who haven't, you know, I, I feel the same way with all of my stuff because I personally get sick of myself. So sometimes I am, we don't share our gifts with the world because we think that other people are sick of them, but it's really because we're just like so in our heads and people are on your show because they want to hear you. So hopefully that episode we recorded will give them the opportunity to hear more of you. That's so nice. It's it's really funny that you that you said that. Do you feel like there were parts of that that you hadn't heard about from me like you new information that I shared or it was just uh, in a new way? No, like literally every single thing. I wow, that's Granted, I can't say I've listened to every single episode. Right. But I I feel like it just like it, I feel like it it let the branches like grow, you know? Like that yeah. conversation, like I kind of knew some of the leaves you had in your atmosphere and the things you talk about, but it was just really cool to see the intricacies of it because similar to you, I'm a projector and I love the intricacies of other people. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you. And it's funny because I have been thinking about, you know, it's we're early into the the new year. And so I was doing, you know, the collective momentum around resolutions and thinking about change and reflecting mm -hmm. on the year before, which, you know, my, my friend Crystal tells me that the real time that there's a new year is the spring where everything is like, yeah, budding. And, you know, it, this is just like capitalism Capitalist. and, you know, what, whatnot, but the reality of the situation is like, we're going to look back on 2022 and like have a thought of like, that is how we tell time as a society mm -hmm. in, in a way. And I was like, wow, I'm feeling really stagnant. And like, I just really mm -hmm. haven't done that much this last year. Like I've been sort of maintaining and I haven't been really doing my potential that I feel that I could and that disappointing myself at the end of days and, 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 really thinking about that and then thinking about like what I want, what is going well and what I want to do more of. And some of it was, you know, like a lot of what I do in my newsletter, translating that to the podcast and, and kind of similar to what you're saying. So it was, it was interesting to have that just underlined and bolded, like something that was already in my brain. So thank you. And I'm just honored that you, that you listened and that you're, that you, messaged me on Instagram and that where you were so patient with me of like, I miss responding to your email. And then now we're doing this months later and it was, it's just so nice to talk to you and meet you. Oh, likewise. Likewise. I'm, I'm really happy to be here with you and you're definitely not alone in, in feeling that way of like stuck and not reaching your full potential and perhaps business wise, things not being as good as 
they were at the peak. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm also in a energetic valley myself. Well, maybe maybe two two projectors in a valley makes a makes a peak if we Perhaps. just stick together. Yes, and I would I would love that honestly. Did you just ask to be my friend? I think so. Yeah, okay. I, think I think so. I feel like my life is made now. <laughs> well, I think it's. I was starting to say this, and like what I do consulting wise is. I'm very good at seeing patterns in other people, but garbage for myself, you know? So I think it, it's, it's, we're too close to it on our own, but in other people, you know, I'm able to be like, oh, the issue's right there. You just move yeah. that to here and like, there you go. But it's very hard to do for yourself or to integrate it, even if you know what to do, to stick with it. And that's why I think connection and friendship and relationships are so important. And, but also it's like, we have to, make things ourselves because that will give us a bit of self-worth so we can show up for, you know, it's all, it's all connected. As yeah. Yeah. I got to book a session with you and ask you what the issue is with me um, and my creative blocks, but um, I'll have do you, it. I would love to. Cool. Have you found that like, I, I don't know if this is a projector thing, but I personally feel like when I see myself in someone else, I feel like I'm healing little parts of myself too. Like, is that like a reverse projection kind of situation? Like I've always lived by the phrase, like when in doubt, focus out. Mm. And that's always really helped me that I I just really struggle with trying to figure things out on my own. Like I need somebody to mirror it for me. That's a great question. You know, I think what you're describing, and this might be this might be it is expanders, right? Do you know about Lacey? Do you know Lacey Phillips? So a, a friend of mine, Lacey Phillips, she has this incredible, it's called to be magnetic now. Mm -hmm. And she's done the podcast a, a bunch, but it was years ago. And her blog was called free and native. And anyway, she has this whole concept around something called expanders, which is basically like, you have to see to believe what is possible for you. So in, in she, her whole, whole concept is around, she's a manifestation advisor, right? So she helps people manifest mm -hmm. what they want, right? And, and it, she just uses, she's a projector like us and she uses energetics, right? To see patterns and to know, you know, and, and her whole thing is you have to be unblocked. So you have to do mm -hmm. a lot of self-worth work to, to believe subconscious beliefs manage your life or run your life, right? So to believe that you are okay to exist is one thing. Mm -hmm. But then Lacey's thing is like, you have to see to believe what's possible. So she has this concept of something that she calls expanders, which is someone who you admire and is doing something that you want to do. But mm -hmm. this is the key you can relate to in some way. So it can't really be someone who's like, 1200 steps ahead of you mm -hmm. because you'll be, your brain is too smart, right? Your brain will be like, oh, well, they're doing it because they come from money and they have this and they have that. And they're, you know, it's because they're a model and be like, I can't, you know, but if you look at someone, you're like, oh, oh, mm -hmm. I relate to them. They're cool. Like yeah. I, maybe I could do it too. You know, like that's, yeah. and so I think that might be what you're talking about or storytelling. And I just was talking to a friend about this at the coffee shop this morning, which is that I learn best through stories. So when someone was telling me about how they handled a like 
text message and dating. Like I was like, Oh wow. I would never have done it that way. But hearing how they did it, like integrated in me something of like, Oh wow. That's, that is a way that could be handled, you know? And I think other people might be able to hear an abstract concept and like get it where I have to like see it integrated. And that's the way that I learn. So I think it might be, and I think both of those two things are related. Is that what you're... Yeah. Like I, I need somebody to talk about themselves and then I could literally just like sit here and take notes because, you know, I'm, I'm, I think humans naturally do this. Like we're constantly kind of finding how it relates to us. So when you tell a story about, or when I tell a story about my sister, even if somebody doesn't have a sister, they're like, oh, well, that reminds me of my niece or my friend or whatever. So that's why storytelling is so powerful because it allows for that transference. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's connection, right? Like we all want to be connected to each other and I think that's why I love interviews so much, you know, like I can listen to an interview with Mark Marin and Courtney Love and like have nothing in common with either mm-hmm. of those individuals, but I'm thoroughly entertained and it's fascinating. So my brain like has something to hold on to. And then it's, then there's pieces of like, oh, wow, how would I interact in that situation if I was like talking to Brad Pitt on a Zoom about a movie? Like, you know what I mean? Like I would have some sort of like way to... We we put ourselves in the shoes of a person, just like if you're reading a book and you you're then you think about you think about how the narrator is interacting in a situation, and it's very easy to think about how you would do it. And I I don't know if everyone's like this, but it sounds like you and I are, and that's a way that that we learn. I think that's why you know we're fascinated by memoir, and we're fascinated by as a as someone who wants to to take it in, you know, not to, not to necessarily even write it. And that's, you know, a whole nother thing, but I think we do want to share with each other too. Like we want to write, we want to be seen and understood. And, and I think we want to eavesdrop on two people seeing and understanding each other at an interview as well. So yeah, I'm the same. It's also why I love podcasting too. It just lets you go a little bit deeper than you otherwise wouldn't on like the randomest things. Like I just love fun facts about people. <laughs> yeah, me too. I think, you know, it's, it's funny. So I, I want to know everything about you and, and how you manage your time and your energy daily. I want to know, I mean, I, I've, I've genuinely like more questions than battery on my computer and time that you have to go to dinner parties. So hopefully we have many conversations. I wrote down this quote as I was preparing to talk to you today. And it's by this German philosopher, Walter Benjamin. And I don't know, I don't know if you've heard this, but he says, to be happy is to be able to become aware of oneself without fright. Similar to something that actually Lacey, speaking of, she has a line where she says, what you don't own owns you, right? So like anything you're holding on to hurts. It's it's a shadow work essentially. Like it's mm-hmm. why my my show is called let it out. A lot of this is like integrating different parts of yourself. And I feel like what I've observed listening to a couple episodes of your podcast this morning and looking at even, you know, videos you've made on Instagram, you seem to have become aware of oneself without fright. (laughs) And I think it's, you know, you, you had an episode recently about rejection too, that I would love to talk about, but the opposite of rejection is acceptance. 
And it looks like you've gotten to the self acceptance and beyond self acceptance in a way that I really admire. What I'd love for you to start start with is, you know, when you told me that you wanted to talk about a couple of things on the show, you said this and you said my usual topics, body acceptance, emotional intelligence, healthy romantic relationships. I'm an open book. Where does that quote land for you and what has been the path to acceptance of of where you are now compared to I'm sure there wasn't always this this level that you're at now. If only you knew how long your email sat in my drafts. <laughs> because like I said I'm facing like a identity crisis which is feels like a constant like I'm even annoyed at myself for calling it an identity crisis cuz I have been calling it that for years and then now I'm like maybe life is just one big identity crisis or at the very least being in my 20s is <laughs> what the theme is um so it's it's funny that I wrote such a succinct sentence about what I wanted to talk about because it sat open in my drafts for so long. Um, and it was, I, I came to it multiple times, I remember. Um, and like you said, on my show, I do believe that everything is everything. So for me, like body acceptance can't happen unless you have emotional intelligence and it can't happen unless you have healthy relationships around you to support you. And similarly, you can't be emotionally intelligent if you're disconnected from your body um, or if the people around you are toxic and can't have an emotionally, socially intelligent conversation. And that whole, I wouldn't say it's like the triangle, but it's kind of the three things that I've been probably most interested in. Um, and I wish I could thank you for saying that. I wish I could say I was more self-accepting because even today, like my microphone broke and I did another interview and the sound was atrocious and I really beat myself up over it. Um, so I've, I've definitely found peace with it in terms of like my body, but when it comes to work and the quality of it and everything, I think that's something I'm still growing in. So what is my top, what did you ask the top lesson in each of those categories? Yeah, let's, let's go through them. And, and I just want to yeah. say like, I think everybody feels that way too. And and from and from the outside, to me, you know, you are doing incredible. And I know you know that it doesn't help to get those compliments, but it also doesn't hurt, you know, when <laughs> you and I know you know this about body image, right? Like when when someone tells you when you're feeling terrible about your body, when someone gives you a bunch of compliments, like doesn't really help. But again, I don't think it hurts, right? Mm-hmm. So I think I I just want to say, like, you're you're doing great. And it's so hard to have multiple interests and try to try to evolve publicly like on the internet like while you're still doing your work to have to and and I've done that right like I was so wellness focused and then mm-hmm. I sort of switched to be everything focused and now I'm like all right maybe I need to kind of make a niche again or maybe you know yeah. and so it's just this constant process of like and even the systems that we use it's like everybody's MailChimp. Nope. Well, we're over to Substack. Nope. We're blogging. We're on podcasts. We're TikTok. We're reels. We're like, it's just a lot to keep up with. And I just want to say you're doing great. So thank you. I think the, the modern day, like work style, it's just not conducive to humans. Like you mentioned, I don't remember which part of our conversation was, but 
the new year's the new year's resolution mm-hmm. you're like my friend says that the real new year is spring like um that's kind of when things bloom and we're supposed to be a little bit more <clears throat> inward in the winter so the fact that we do this giant reset new year's resolutions q1 goals um on january 1st is like completely made up by capitalism so i think also like all these all these technologies and all these platforms like at a certain point we have to stop beating ourselves up and be like i'm a human being trying my best in a world that's made for machines and it's it's hard for me to be so <laughs> compassionate in that way too cuz i i grew up with the internet and i've been on instagram in particularly for almost 10 years now And since I got on Instagram, like I went pretty much straight into influencing before it was even a thing. I think you shared with me, like you went into blogging before it was the hot new thing. But I remember having like a fitness account with over 20,000 followers when I was just 16 years old. Like, what does that do to your brain? You know? And I think about that so much. Like, I feel like content creation and now we have a word for it back then it was just like oh she posts on instagram now you're a content creator you know like i feel like this this stuff the way we create and the way we consume the way we're expected to create and the way that we're um i guess tricked to consume is it's just not conducive and i think as time goes on um today when i was journaling i'm journaling out of my own journal and Today's topic was purpose. And the irony is not lost on me that I feel like I'm struggling with my purpose as I'm journaling about purpose. But one of the questions that I wrote about is like, what makes you angry? And literally the first thing I wrote down was the internet. <laughs> and I know mm. that's like so broad and vague, but I what I meant by that is like not the internet itself, but the way that I don't know. I think I think we need more people speaking up about it. And I think corporate corporations need to have tech ethicists full time being like what impact is this making yeah again such a paradox being a creator kind of in like the mental health and self love space feeling like i'm a part of the problem and not willing to openly admit that like hey if we could just spend less screen time i really think that that would help so many people of course the pandemic didn't help but one of the byproducts of the pandemic was so much screen time. So anywho, all that to say, I had an idea for a next book, not soon, but like years and years from now, I was like, what if I went completely off social media after being this like influencer for at least a year, got a flip phone, didn't touch social media in particular. I can still be on the internet, just not social media. And then like wrote about it. Like, you know, a year without my phone. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. I would, I would love to do that because I wonder if there, there are young people like just feeling this inkling toward not wanting to be on this device. Oh my God. Yes. Let's like get on the calendar. I think you should definitely do it. I mean, just looking at your social media presence, like you have three accounts that are like very well managed and you have, and just hearing that about, I want to get into that about you started when you were 16 as a fitness model, like a fitness account, like this is all ripe for the picking with doing that project because you really have a, have a history with this that I I can't even imagine because of the, probably the age that you are and, and just the situation that you came 
up with within it is fascinating to me. And I think the anger that you were feeling, this is something that came up in a, a consulting session I was doing with someone who has a studio that she's renting out to people that they can do mm-hmm. weddings or photo shoots or anything in. And that is a business that, you know, she wanted to do social media with or have a social media account, but she really didn't want to do it. And I was like, look, there are other ways to market. Like we can do other things. Like, let's mm-hmm. figure it out. This is one, there are others. And then the thing that was making her feel so uncomfortable, we kind of figured out by talking it out for an hour was I think, and the reason maybe where your anger is coming from, at least for me, like when my ratio of consumption is more than contributing, that's Mm -hmm. when I feel off, right? So if I'm contributing, creating, contributing kind of the same thing and giving something, then when I consume content, let's say it's like social media, I can be fine. Like I can be like, Oh man, I'm so happy that person made that thing because I also made my thing and I posted about it earlier too. And I can just feel really good about it. But on days when I'm like, haven't posted that thing yet and haven't posted that other thing. And I'm feeling, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh man, me seeing everybody's content again and again and again, just makes me feel worse about the stuff that I'm not in that like really happy, like rising tide lifts all Mm -hmm. boats, like supportive mode, because I'm just like, I should be doing my thing and I'm not. And it's like not even quite comparison. So like things like that with our brains, I mean, I I think that book would be incredible and and really hard. And I know that you'd have to back into that because it's related to, and that's the other thing, like even for me in a way, Social media is so complex because it's related to my safety, security, well-being in a way because it's related to my bottom line in a way. And mine is not very much, but it is sort of because everybody Mm -hmm. is connected to it of like even to get a job people look at your social media to be like, oh, are they okay? What what, They make a judgment call on someone from that and friendship and dating. Like it's something that people look at and make a judgment call on someone based off of and, you know, three, six, nine, like nine square of photographs, you know, yeah, or, yeah. It, and it's, I don't know how that's going to affect our brain. So you were 16 and you were making content around fitness and then you had to completely pivot because that wasn't conducive to you. Get into that a little bit with me. So you were, and, and then now you're like, I did, you're, you made all these other accounts. Like, did you pivot that account over time and become, I'm so curious about all of it. Yeah. Before I tell you like my evolution, I just want to say 100%. That's what it is. Like when I'm looking at other people, you kind of fall into this comparison because your ratio of contributing and consuming is off. And I think that's it over the short term, like short term, what makes me feel pretty steady is if I'm like, okay, I, I did my post. I feel proud of it. I've reached people. I'm connecting with people. I like that. And now I can go look at other people's stuff and I'm very inspired by them too. I think day-to-day short-term, yes. But over the long-term, when I look back, sometimes I'm like, am I just like like contributing to the noise? You know what I mean? Am I just like contributing to the clutter? Is somebody else? I think about this a lot. And I know it's not my responsibility. Um, and I'm saying this not in terms of like beating myself up or blaming myself, but in terms of just how the, how social media um, is shoved down our throats. I, I think about like, is, is somebody 
looking at me and chances are yes. And like comparing themselves to me and being like, why aren't I like Mary? Why don't I look like Mary? Why don't I do all these things that Mary does da, 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 without not only not knowing behind the scenes, because I could tell them all the behind the scenes of the many, many daily breakdowns that I have. Um, but they'll never be able to fully like see, see that humanity no matter how vulnerable, like even the most vulnerable, vulnerable people. And now vulnerability is kind of this hot new thing. So I even look at the people who are so good at being vulnerable and sharing their lows. And I'm like, oh my God, why can't I share my lows that way? And even that sends me. So Hmm. I think people are really um, quick to blame the individual and be like, well, you just need to not care what people think. But no, we, we need to start talking about how this stuff is hijacking our brains. So yeah, I got on social media when I was 16. I remember the day I created an Instagram account and I was the last one in my dance studio. And if not at my school, but I remember it specifically with, with the girls that I was dancing with, um, they were always on social media, like after class. Uh, Instagram had just come out and we were putting the sepia filter on our little ballet feet (laughs) pictures or whatever. And uh, everyone was kind of on it and I'm an Aquarian. So naturally uh, I'm a little bit like rebellious. If if everybody's on that thing, I don't want it. I don't get it, whatever. And that's how I was with Instagram. And I remember the day that I caved Um, and I'm really grateful for the opportunities that it presented me over the years. But I think that being 16 and competing in bodybuilding, bikini competition, struggling with an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And um, I also graduated early. And so I moved out early, went to college and was just really drowning in shame. And at the same time, posting pictures of my quote unquote, perfect body and all these bikini shows that I was doing and getting sponsored by supplement companies not making that much money, but still thinking like it was so cool that they're paying me a couple hundred bucks to put my butt next to this protein powder. So I, I, I've kind of been in that like influencing world. I I didn't realize it until very recently, but I'm like, I've literally been doing this for, it'll be like nine years, like almost a decade. And that's a lot in adolescence. And I think kids born between like particularly 1996 and like 1999. I think technically we're Gen Zers because we're, you know, on that technology train. But we also remember just enough of a time before all of this that it almost hurts that much more because I asked my sister who's 14 and I'm like, do you ever wish like TikTok didn't exist? And she's like, no. (laughs) But I ask people my age and everybody kind of like, feels it enough or we've experienced it just enough to romanticize it. Um, You know, MySpace was there, but we went on our computers. We weren't like glued to it at all times. And then it was like, mom, get off the phone. I'm trying to use the internet. You know, like it was, there were boundaries around it um, sometimes to our demise, but anywho, yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Um, And it makes it that much harder to like post and, share a message that I hope is positive and would positively impact people. But it's, it's impossible to do without thinking about all this. Of course. Oh, it's really intense. I mean, even just our age gap is, makes it incredibly different because, but, but I mean, but also I don't, I don't know. I, I think we just don't know what this will do with our brains. And I think it's, it's really 
it is challenging when there are parts of it that are connected to our work and we really like, and I'm really grateful that have brought me so like, I wouldn't be doing a lot of the things I'm doing now. I probably wouldn't live where I live now, if not for this, you know, photo and video sharing application on my phone that I don't even like use that much anymore. And, and I think I've had so many changes of who I am and what I'm doing and inconsistencies that it's just like, I have no idea who is even there. Like I, I think about it all the time because the number is constantly going down and it just is like kind of fluctuates and like mostly going down. And I'm almost like, who are it? Like it's, it's more people. I don't have that very many followers, but comparatively, but definitely more than a personal account. And I think of like, who are, who is, who wants to be here? Like, who, who are you? You know, cause you know, probably like a thousand or 2000 of those people are people who I have met and like, you know, yeah went on a date with or met at that weird thing or like became my friend on it, you know, like some of those people have got my high school English teacher, you know, but then a lot of them are like, you know, and, and it's just part of that's really cool. Like you, like you, you were along for the wild ride, but I'm sure there are a lot of people who are just like, I'm all set. She's not talking about wellness anymore. And like, that's great, but it, it is, I mean, I just, it's wild what you shared even about your sister and you like I I got Instagram. I didn't have an iPhone, but my boyfriend did when I was in college. So this is like 2012. And I remember blogging was great. Like I was really into blogs at that time. Like I, I thought it was like the best internet in 2012. And then when Instagram came, I wanted to just like see how my favorite blogs used it and I would use his phone and I had like seven tumblers. That was like the cool for me. I love Tumblr so much. And my, my friend Zoe, who's closer to your age here, she, she always says that like my aesthetic is like stuck in like the Tumblr 2010 <laughs> era. Like I just like stayed there. Um, and I think that's true. And, but it's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta evolve and like there is TikTok now, but maybe like, I'm. it's all, also, it's like, what if I had grown up with you like, or like at the same age as you? Like, I wonder what I would have done. I went to that Tumblr. I would have had, maybe I would have like had TikTok or maybe I would have not. I We just don't know. Like so much of it is out of our control and related to time. And it's complex because it's nuanced and it's not one thing. Like it's. Yeah. Yeah. I think the difference, and this is going to be just so telling how old were you were in college when you were on Tumblr? Mm-hmm. So you're what, 20? Yeah, tw- yeah, exactly. Okay, so 18, I was on 20. Tumblr quite a bit for many years. And we have a, what, seven-year age gap? So right. I was on Tumblr at the exact same time as you, except you were 18 and I was 11. Wow. And I think that summarizes like Gen Z, right? Yeah. Like we remember the same platforms, but you guys were like a little bit older, like your brain. I mean, even at 18, that's still crazy because your your brain isn't fully formed until 26 and all of this. St- like, I swear Tumblr is probably the reason why I had an eating disorder because of all the pro. Yeah, like the pro eating disorder content. And I, I laugh about it now because it's just so tragic. But um, yeah, I think that's that's what a lot of young kids are feeling like. I don't know. Like, I wish there was a life without it, to be honest. And this isn't like me being like, woe is me, like romanticize the past. This is like, no, this, 
is actually doing some very dramatic things to our brains in a very short amount of time. And literally 10 years, nobody's, I mean, there are people kind of TikTok, uh, TikToking, TikToking. That I just said TikToking. I meant to say talking, not TikToking. Oh my God. There are people like kind of talking about it more from a complaining aspect instead of like, what are we going to do with young kids whose brains are hijacked by constant short form media consumption? Yeah. It's wild. It really is wild. It's wild to think about that age gap and just how so much of this is out of our control. Like something I talk about with, with Christy Harrison quite often is, and I'm sure that you've heard about this too, of the Minnesota starvation experiment, right? It's kind of classic eating disorder study, right? It's a study that never could be done now that happened to, it was all on men who, I think it was World War One or World War Two. I think World War it was World War II, and um, I actually listened. Do you listen to Malcolm Gladwell? I do, yeah. Did he do something on this? I had missed Dude, it. He did a whole episode on this. Oh, that's great. But not from like an eating disorder perspective, but from a why do people, why did they, why did these guys sign up for this? Yeah. And are they angry that these experimenters, you know, fuck them up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he did this whole thing. And there's there's a lot to learn from that one exper- ex- experiment. Why am I struggling with my words today? We've been talking for so long. There's a lot to learn from that experiment outside of like the food stuff too. And it's really fascinating. Highly recommend. Well, that's what I was going to say, actually, because I think that I haven't listened to that episode, but what Chrissy and I always talk about around this is that when your career is in a malleable place and you also have an eating disorder, right? It's very likely, and it came out of this experiment that they found this uh, or that she explained it to me. It's likely that your entire career and maybe life is goes in a direction that it wouldn't have if you hadn't at that time had an eating disorder. And I think like for people listening, the Minnesota starvation experiment is basically these men after World War II, during World War II, who weren't in the war, were studied and like gave their bodies to science where they were put on this restrictive diet and they ate, ate this like very restrictive diet and all these terrible things happened to them. And it was placed in front of me on like first day of eating disorder recovery to kind of scare you, I think, and in a way to be like, and you hear all the symptoms that they had. And one of them is like, I just remember going through it and being like, oh yeah, you're, it hurts to sit because of your bones and you're cold all the time and this and that, and your hair falls out, all of it. And then it's like, these are the wild ones where it's like, you're obsessed with food. They were going to the library and picking up cookbooks and they were like looking at all this stuff. And then I, you know, at the time I was like on blogs, like Googling, like just, you know, my version of that. And then the the really intense one, and this is the reason why Christy equated it to, you know, the way it can change the entire course of your life is that a lot of these men became, and I wonder if they talked about this on the Gladwell show, became chefs or became fitness instructors their jobs changed because of them being in college when this was performed. And I feel like it's the same with social media too, where it's like the course of our careers, like even podcasting, like that didn't exist when I was a child and it did later, like, which I'm grateful for, but also what would I, what else would I have done? You know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm really trying to understand that. So it's the, the struggle kind of became like, 
your business later on. And so it kind of like lingers with you. Well, I mean, same for you, right? Like if you didn't have the eating disorder, you probably wouldn't be talking about the things you're talking about now, right? You would have probably done like, what what were you into as a, as a kid, like way before Tumblr? Like we don't, we might not even know that's a thing. Yeah, exactly. So, and I'm really grateful for the way that my life has unfolded, like some of the freedom and flexibility it's given me outside of a traditional nine to five. And I know the corporate world isn't anything to necessarily fantasize about. Um, But yeah, I, I, like you said, it's, it can be a slippery slope to be like, who would I have been? But I wanted to pull up this Malcolm Gladwell episode because he says the minute, this is the description, the Minnesota or the title is called the rise of the Guinea pigs. The Minnesota starvation experiment could never be done today. No scientist could get permission to starve 36 healthy people for close to a year. But why? Revisionist history tries to follow the strange logic that governs our thinking about medical experiments. Wow. It's like a totally different twist. So I'm digressing here, but it was it was a really good episode and I, I don't want to spoil it. So I just no. link it somewhere. Yeah. Oh, we'll link it for sure. I mean, that's, it's wild, but it, but it is true. I mean, I think similarly, we're all sort of in an experiment of, you know, 40, I mean, the planet will be done by then probably, but like, it's also bleak, but you know, we're all kind of doing this experiment of like, we could do a description right now that would be like everyone on the entire planet earth has this device in their pocket at all times that they're obsessed with and addicted to. And a lot of people make money from this application. What could never happen now? Here's why, you know, like it's kind of the same experiment that we're all running in. Like we don't know. And, and, And at the end of the day, it's like, all right, well, we just have to kind of accept like, this is the world that we live in. It's given me a lot too. And Marley Grace, they have a zine that they wrote and the title is, how a social media platform for sharing videos and photos gave me my career, introduced me to my best friends, made me money and made me want to die. You know, like it's the, it's the perfect title. It's like, it kind of says everything in the title and yeah, it's just a lot of things good and bad are complex and have multiple, you know, cause I love that title. Yeah, it's good. That's right? exactly how I feel. What is your greatest lesson? If you just had to sum it up, I know it's probably hard, but on those three things, body acceptance, emotional intelligence, and romantic relationships, which you're about to get married. Congratulations. Thank you. Huge. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, rapid fire body acceptance. The number one thing is um, every time I find myself getting hypercritical of my body or not just critical, but like aware of image and looks and that whole thing, I, the, the, probably like the only thing that's helped me. I mean, I feel like I started eating better, more balanced, i.e. like not disordered, but the body image stuff was lingering for so long until I started telling myself that my body is not an image, it's an experience. Mm. And I think that's where like you can go any different direction through all the branches about like mindfulness exercises and, and movement that really feels like enriching and connecting to your body, whether that's like dance or 
sensually rolling around in your bed in the morning or or yoga or taking a walk and like really connecting. Um, and there's so many different branches around that, but I think a really tactical thing that people can do is just to stop fucking looking at yourself so much. Like just stop. Like we got to stop with so many mirrors. We got to stop with the selfies. It's another thing about social media. I feel like it's hijacking my brain because I'm always like, you know, I'm seeing myself. There's kind of no other way around it. Um, but it's it's just not healthy. And I think it's it's such a simple thing to focus on your body experience and like really living and feeling in it instead of looking at it and criticizing it. So I think that's that's the number one thing. And I actually had this like profound realization when I was in Bali, um, because when you're traveling in places like that, there's not that many mirrors. <laughs> there's not this full length mirror situation in every single um, Airbnb or hostel or all the homes you stay at. There might be like one tiny little mirror in the bathroom somewhere. But I remember being there for over a month and thinking like, I literally haven't seen a full length view of myself in weeks and it just feeling so good so good so that felt like it really regrounded me in like a positive body experience um emotional intelligence either you know zoom is so you, when you are looking at yourself too i think the pandemic people have talked about that of like how that gets to oh yeah us. do you hide self view i hide self view oh no i didn't know that was an option yeah Mine, you know, I set my settings. If you go deep into your Zoom settings, you can set it so that it automatically always hides self view. That's what I have mine set too. Yeah, that that just you just changed my life. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's so helpful because I want to feel like I'm talking to you, not yeah. looking at myself. Yeah, um, it's wow. such an unnatural experience. So, yeah, that I that's a big a thing. Lot, so that that one's fixed. Yeah, <laughs> done. Um, emotional intelligence wise, I really re- resonated with that quote that you said and. I've, I too have been in like the personal development space and a lot of the spiritual aspects too. And most of it all comes down to like self-awareness, um, emotional awareness, emotional intelligence is right there in there. And I think when people ask me about, uh, self-acceptance and like, what do I do if I know I need to change my body for health reasons? And I'm sure Christy Harrison has a lot of very useful ways to combat those thoughts and messages. Um, But the first place I start is, well, firstly, even if that is the case, which probably isn't, but even if it is, let's entertain it and say that you can't change what you don't accept and you can't accept what you're not aware of. So everything always starts with having the emotional intelligence to be self-aware and catch yourself on the thoughts and notice the patterns through the help of people like you being like, hey, here's this thing. Um, There's many different ways to go about it, whether it's meditation or journaling or going on a run to clear your head and be with yourself. That is so, so, that's, that's the starting point. And healthy relationships. Yeah, I'm getting married soon. And I've never been married, but been through three divorces vicariously through my parents, five, four marriages. Yeah. Three divorces vicariously through my parents. So I have like a lot of trauma there, but I'm working on it in therapy. Um, just upgraded from like a counselor to a psychologist. Cause I felt like I needed a little bit more support navigating like 
the family stuff that comes around wedding planning and all happy things that like you said so eloquently, there's always a shadow side too. So I'm really passionate about healthy relationships because for almost four years now leading up to my wedding, being with this man who's so amazing, there's so many times where I feel unworthy of it, or I feel like it's going to fall apart. The second shoe is going to drop. Like I I had did this thing a couple of years ago where I was like holding my, my, hoarding my airline miles because I was like, oh, well, if I don't have anywhere to live and I don't have enough money, I can always like take those for like cash back on my credit mm-hmm. card, like just weird, like backup plans, like the emergency. Cause I've been in those situations so much. And um, yeah, as I'm navigating it myself and like, I don't think that everything is going to magically get better in my mind once we tie the knot. But like my new psychologist said, she goes, Mary, we got to get your mind right before you make the biggest commitment of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to do that for not just you, but also this person that you're entering life with. So that's like really, really important for me. So I'm kind of talking about it as I'm figuring it out myself. Mm, oh my God. You are so cool, dude. You're, you're so cool. cool. You're warm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You too. Wow. That's no small thing. I mean, I divorce really fucks with us. I am realizing the older I get oddly. You are so wise and articulate and have been through so much and in, in a short amount of time. And I am, I learned so much today, but I feel like I'm sad that I didn't even get to ask any of the questions that I wrote down <laughs> for you. And I have so much more I want to learn about you, but you can really see all the growth that you've done on yourself and and it's not to say like, you're like a wonderkin, like just, just because you're the age that you're at. I, I just mean, you know, it, it's really, it's really tremendous how you've navigated some really challenging things and are working through things and in and, and process. Right. And, and doing that while still like making work and showing up and trying your best. And it's no small thing. And I know that cause I do a similar thing and it, I know how challenging it is, even if it looks easy from the outside. And Mm. I'm just really happy that you, that my silly podcast led me to get to meet you. And it's, it's really cool. So I'm, I'm so happy that we're connected. Oh, thank you, Katie. I received that with so much love. Your podcast is wonderful. I'm so grateful that we're connected, hopefully off the record as well. And a part two to come sooner rather than later. All right, that was my part two, which was really part one for you here, my conversation with Mary. If you want to hear more of us talking, stay tuned because you're gonna hear part one, which was a conversation we recorded on her show. And since there's no ad this week, no sponsor, I'm gonna do a little mini, not an ad, but I'm gonna just tell you (laughs) briefly that I have an open spot in my one-on-one creative consulting clinic. If you have no idea what that is, stay tuned and there'll be a bit more information about it or click on the link in the show notes and it will tell you more about it. But there's only one spot available and I can get on the phone with you and we can talk about if I might be the person to be your cheerleader, encouragement, help see patterns because I have some distance from whatever it is that you're making, brainstorm with you and support you in whatever way 
that you need. I love doing this so much. I love supporting people. I love the people I get to meet through doing this. It's, it's my favorite thing right now. So more information coming soon, but for now, here's more of my conversation with Mary. It goes in several different directions, which I'll let her tee up for us right now. So here's your new host, Mary. Well, actually, I invited Katie to be on the show. And then through this conversation and through the conversation we had on her podcast, where I'm a guest on, we quickly became friends. In this conversation, you will learn about Katie's journey going from orthorexia to recovery to this whole personal growth and self-help spiritual space, leading her to start a very popular wellness podcast, which is actually how I found Katie way back when in my recovery journey. We talk a lot about the mindset and the fears and just like the behind the scenes of what goes on in our brains as creative people. And she also shares tons of helpful tools and resources for writers and artists. So this conversation is very wide ranging. Katie is an incredibly eloquent and thoughtful and like well-rounded individual. So despite this podcast episode going so many different directions, I think you're really going to see yourself in it, especially if you are a writer, a content creator, or an artist of any sort. And if you do consider yourself a creative artsy-fartsy person, then you might be interested in Katie's Creative Clinic, which is a one-on-one consulting program that she hosts where she guides creatives to unleashing and unlocking their creativity. I know that getting blocked and feeling like you're just all alone on this journey can make work that much more daunting, especially meaningful work. So I highly recommend checking out Katie's website and seeing all that she has to offer around creativity. The link to Katie's Creative Clinic will be in the description of this podcast episode, and she only has a couple of spots left for her creative consulting services. So make sure to reach out to her directly. You can also connect with Katie on Instagram at Katie Dalebout with three T's at the end and her podcast and podcast account, Let It Out, and that's at Let It Out also with three T's at the end. As I was saying to you before we had started recording, I got an email just last night um, from somebody asking, basically she wrote out like everything that she's currently doing and how she really wants to do what I do. And I don't even know what I do, to be honest. So I have a really hard time answering that. So it's currently started in my inbox until I can find the words, but I figured I would pass the torch on to you and ask you a twofold question, which is firstly, what do you do and how do you answer that question? And secondly, I really wanted to talk about advice for um, creative souls who know that they're kind of like multi-passionate, multi-potentialite and want to break out of this conventional nine to five kind of work, but feel like they don't know where to start or don't know how to build an audience, start a podcast, uh, become a writer, like all of those things. I think there's a lot that we do, but you have been around for like a decade and I've been following you probably that long. No, you're not old. You just started at the very beginning. And it's so cool because I feel like I get a little bit of mentorship with this conversation too. 
Oh man. Well, first of all, thank you. I mean, I think you should be mentoring me because gosh, this is a really interesting conversation to have right now because I'm really in a, you're catching me in a moment of change, I think, but I'm not even through it. Like I'm not even, I haven't I've barely begun it, I think. And, but, but also I, I never stopped. Like, I think it's just kind of evolving and, you know, you were so kind and saying like, you were looking back at the podcast and you were like, I have, don't, do you, I don't, do you remember how you found it or when you, you said it's been a while? Yeah. I remember listening to you when I was in recovery from my eating disorder and in preparation for this conversation, I was like going through to see if you like still talk about that or have anything recent. And I I don't think I could find anything recent on that topic besides like you mentioning it in, in passing. Um, And so it was really interesting for me and, and inspiring in a sense, because I feel like I kind of have to keep talking about that same topic in order to stay relevant, but you're a perfect example of somebody who's evolved. And I feel like I've evolved with you just a couple steps behind. Um, so that's, that's kind of my relationship with you and your online presence. Well, I think you're, I think you're many, many steps ahead, my friend. It, that's, that's very kind. I'm, I'm glad you found the the podcast. So many people found me that way, you know, through eating disorder recovery, which, which I know now that we share. And I think it's, it's so interesting because in any industry, right? Like if we were bankers or like we worked in finance or we worked in anything else, right? Like technology evolves, the political climate evolves, the trends evolve, right? So we have to, in any career, like if I was an accountant and I started 10 years ago accounting, I probably would have had to switch software several times. And my teams around me would shift in the trends of, you know, maybe not as much or maybe not as quickly, but I think that that's just part of being at the age I am in my career, I I guess. And I am very much, you know, figuring that out. You know, if, if I got an email similarly, I would have started and put it in a drawer as well because it is a bit undefined and, and you're doing so well. And I admire you so, so much. I mean, your content and your social media presence. I don't even have TikTok downloaded on my phone. Girl, I feel like that's a win. That's a win. <laughs> yeah, I relate to so much of what you said that I'm I'm also in a place of like rediscovering and reinventing myself, which, which also comes with uncertainty and doubt. But don't think that that's a bad thing to not have TikTok on your phone. <laughs> well, yeah, I think maybe in some ways it it is, but it's kind of like you got to keep up or be kept up. You know, it's like you got to evolve and you got to to be relevant. You have to sort of like keep these things that are useful and accept them and, or you're not going to be able to like do the same thing. And I I'm really in that phase. Well, it's honestly what keeps me up at night, which is why I'm so glad that we're connected because I think about this all the time. And I think that's the grappling that a lot of creative people and artists like, I say artists like, because I don't necessarily call myself an artist, perhaps an artist of life, but my day-to-day work isn't being an artist. Like I just spent seven hours editing a video 
don't really feel like an artist. It's just kind of tedious for me and not necessarily something that brings me joy and inspiration. And same with my like content online. Like I don't necessarily think of it as like, I am a content creator. I think that's where I, I just get really, really stuck grappling between there's this one skill set that I have and this thing that I have. I don't even know what it is. I don't know how to describe it, but it, there's something. And like you mentioned, constantly having to like evolve and keep up and be on these different platforms. And truthfully, like you say, you're bad at it, but I see it as your gift outside looking in. And I'm like, damn, she's consistent. Like she doesn't care if TikTok's a hot new thing. She's consistent with like the types of images that you post that are so artistic or like the way you tell the story to like promote a podcast and shine light on this guest that I wouldn't have otherwise found. I don't know if you read her newsletters, but have you heard of Maria Popova from Brain Pickings? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my goodness. When I read your writing, it reminds me of like, you're almost like a more readable version of her. Oh my God, that's such an honor. Because <laughs> to read like her stuff, I have to like sit down and put my philosophy hat on. But reading your captions, like I feel like it's like philosophical and artistic, but also like casual. So anywho, all that to say, like, that's really what does keep me up at night as a wearing many hats gal myself. Gosh, well, thank you. I mean, that's such a nice person to compare me to. And that's like incredibly nice. And like I said, I'm I'm really in the evolving of this. And I tried a lot of things that have worked that haven't worked. I was thinking about this today. You know, I I've made some things that to decide like what is working, you know, like, oh, it wasn't financially lucrative, but like I did it exactly how I thought it was going to be. Like, I'm not great at marketing. Like, I care more about how things look and how things are perceived than getting more eyes on something. And that's not a great business choice. And and honestly, like one that I'm going to need to like think through if I want to keep doing this, you know, because I can't if I don't figure out how to fund it in a, in a way that that works or I can figure out how to fund it in another way, you know? So it's just constantly evolving and knowing like knowing your strengths and weaknesses too of like, there have been periods in my life where I have been a better marketer, where I was able to sit in front of the camera and be like, buy my thing. I really think you should buy my thing. <laughs> and lately or like since honestly, since like the the pandemic, I just, I haven't been able to do that. You know, I can barely like say I have an offering or like ask someone to leave a review or like to sign up for my new, like anything is yeah. just like, and I don't think that that's, I'm not proud of that. I just think I'm trying to be like, all right, well, if that's not working, what can I do over here? And maybe I need to evolve. And there's a lot going on in my brain at present trying to sort that out myself, but also like what is an integrity and what is authentic to me? It's a constant evolving of, of sorting sorting that out. So when somebody asks you, what do you do? What do you say? Being in LA and moving here, I'm around a lot of really cool people who all seem to be artists and do a bunch of different projects and just are like very good at ceramics and then also a filmmaker and a photographer and also play music. And I'm just around so many talented artists and people. And so I do have a bit of, you know, I'll say just to keep it simple, like I'll say I'm a writer usually just if someone's like, Oh, what do you do? Like recently I've just been saying like, I don't know. I do, I do a bunch of things. Cause I, I didn't want to say I, 
I do a podcast because it kind of seemed to me like saying, you know, if someone was like, I'm a blogger, like a bunch of years ago, like, well, everyone has a podcast. Like, is that really your job? And it's like, well, that's the thing that's making me money right now, pretty much exclusively. Since I do do several things, like, and you do too, like, it is hard to manage that. And I had a similarly embarrassing moment. This one is rich and very similar to what happened with your neighbors. This was maybe like a year ago, but I was at the coffee shop that I always go to. And a friend of mine was with a friend of his. And he was like introducing a good friend of mine, introducing me to his friend. And I was like, oh, yeah, hi, nice to, nice to meet you. And he kind of gives like a little intro of me for me. Thank God. And he's like, oh, you know, this Katie, she does a, um, she's a, has a podcast. She's a writer. She wrote this book, whatever. I'm like, oh yeah, nice to meet you. And then she, this person's like, oh, you're a writer. Like, that's amazing. Like, I'm also a writer. And Mary, I was like, uh, well, you know, and have you seen the movie Francis Ha? No. Okay. Well, this person hadn't either, but there's this scene in the film Francis Ha where Greta Gerwig's character is asked what she does. She's a dancer and that's what she does in the in the movie. She's a modern dancer, but the person asks her at the dinner party, he's like, what do you do? And then she's like, it's hard to explain. That's what Greta Gerwig says. And then the, the other person at the dinner party is like, why? Because what you do is difficult to understand. And she's like, no, because I don't really do it. She like wasn't getting any work as a dancer. And I feel that way similarly too, where some, it's not like I write every day and I, my book came out a while ago and I, you know, and so then I, I said that to her, I was like, well, have you seen the movie Francis Ha? And I went into this whole thing. It's like, just keep it simple. Like just say something simple. That's like your self-worth is going to be intact at the end of it. And then ask someone else questions. But I totally understand how you feel because obviously I've done that so many times in different ways, but usually now I just say some sort of like, oh, I'm a writer and I have a podcast. I do a bunch of things. And then and then they can, the person you're talking to can like, if they want to know more about it, they'll ask about one of those things or you'll move on. But then it's like, at least you don't have to go into it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And again, like you said, it depends on the social situation. And if they want to know more, they can ask. That's not to say we should downplay ourselves always, but I think there's also like a sense of confidence to like find that one thing that you resort to. If they want to know more, they will ask and you're happy to explain. And I'm, I'm always happy to explain because, you know, if I was in the neighbor's position, the follow up question I would have likely posed is, Oh, so how do you pass your days? Yeah. (laughs) You know, and that could have led so many different interesting directions. But instead, I was met with a very judgmental, oh, and I felt it. And I'm actually kind of glad that I said what I said, because certain people like don't deserve your full explanation either. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the opposite is true, too. Like, do you get into human design at all? I fuck with human design big time. (laughs) Well, are you a projector? Yes. How'd you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I am too. And I have never... Wait for the invitation. Well, it's it's like beyond that sort of like, because for people listening, human design, have you, have you had an episode about it? I have an episode about it with Erin Claire Jones. Okay, great. Erin's the best. Yeah, she's yeah. done my show two or three times. She's incredible. I've had like four or five human design readers on Let It Out over the years. It's like nothing's made me feel more articulate. Erin and I actually, we did two live episodes in New York together before I left. Oh, that is so cool. She's a gem, an absolute gem. But for those who don't know what human design is, give us a little synopsis. 
Oh gosh, I think I can do it. It it's a it's a system sort of like astrology because it uses your birth time and place of birth and it was kind of recent. It's the one that makes me feel more articulated than anything else of like Enneagram or Myers-Briggs or it's just information about yourself, you know, to kind of read up on these and I've been so lucky that I've gotten some readings over the years through my podcast and and talking about this, but I really relate to being a projector. And one of the things with being a projector that everyone knows, and Mary mentioned it is wait for the invitation. Like you need to be recognized and invited into a conversation to be able to like be heard essentially. And I think, you know, kind of like with any, anything, like whether we're talking about love languages or whatever, it's like, some of this is all universally true, but I do think I have found in my life and and now knowing that you're a projector makes so much sense. Like, I think those conversations are particularly interesting for us where this is what I was going to say, the opposite be true, where friendship takes time and it can't be forced. Right. So when you meet someone for the first time, one of the things about projectors, and I'm sure Aaron still do this, like we can see into and recognize people very easily. Like we can read people quite easily. And it's because we don't create our own energy. Other types create their own energy, but we play off the energy of other people. So because of that, we can read people really easily and recognize them. And so we want that just as much because it's so easy for us. We crave it and want it from other people, but other people, it's not as easy for it. It takes time for them to like understand us and read us and like get that. Mm -hmm. So we kind of I'll speak for myself because this part is just true for me. Like I feel like it's so easy to kind of get a read on someone if I just get a little bit of information and then I'll ask questions and like, I'm so there and like care and I'm really just present with them. And when that isn't the same with me, when someone's not doing that with me, it can be, it can kind of shake my self-worth a little bit. But at the same time, when I just do very little and I give just a very little, that makes an air of like, if someone wants in, like if someone likes me and like wants to invite me in to their, be in their life, so to speak, then that will be mysterious in a way that they'll be like, wait, so you do a podcast? Like, tell me more about that. I had that happen enough last year with just real life people here, friends that I really have put on a pedestal and like thought are the like coolest people in the world who are like, Hey, you know, I listened to your podcast and I was like, Oh my God, like, I don't even know how they found it. I had like, I didn't say that I had a pod, like, and that to me is like, feels really good. And that wasn't me being like, Hey, I have this thing. Like, I'd love for you to like, see me, see me, see me. And mm-hmm. that's why maybe marketing as a projector, like it's hard to do that just holistically, like you do have to give a little bit of like put your sign on that you're open or no one's going to come in. But at the same time to like really push is like also off-putting. So it's like finding that balance. Yeah. Yeah. I land with everything projector related and similar to you. It resonates with me, maybe not more than astrology, but just as much. Like you said, it's information. So I feel like if if somebody knows all the things and I came up and I said, I'm an Aquarius and a projector, like it all makes sense. And ENFJ for my Myers-Briggs for the Enneagram, I'm like a two wing three. And so if I like throw all these code words out there and you're familiar with them, I just feel very seen in different ways through all of them. And sometimes I'm like, what part of myself am I trying to search for? But I think 
what I like the most about stuff like that is like you said, it's information about yourself. And for me personally, it's also finding words to describe yourself and how you work better. Because unless you have the words to describe it, you're not going to know what it necessarily is. But you know, when somebody says something that resonates, you're like, wait, I'm like that too. And then it kind of just sticks with you. So when Aaron said, you're a projector and your kind of mantra is wait for the invitation. I'm like, wow. So that's why everything feels icky when I force it, you know? (laughs) And it was kind of like a positive twist to my strengths. So yeah, I, I really resonate with being like, what do you do and getting stumped? Well, all those things are just shared language. You know, that's all it is. It gives us shared language. Like my my friend Zoe got very, very into the Enneagram during the pandemic, the peak of the pandemic in 2020, where she was like buying all these like courses and blah, 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 or like readings. And I said to her, I was like, look, you know, this is a really a, a way for us to say to each other, like, we all want to be seen and understood for who we really are, right? Like that's intimacy. But we're most afraid of being seen and understood for who we really are and not liked. So we like put on these masks or we like just keep a distance because it's so scary to be. I would rather not be seen correctly because if I'm not liked for this like version of myself, it doesn't hurt as bad if I'm not liked for like who I really truly am, you know? So I think Enneagram and all of that is a way to give people shared language to be like, see me, see me. I'm a seven. Like, this is how I am, you know, or I'm a projector, I'm a Aquarius or I'm a Taurus or whatever it is. Astrology is becoming, at least in LA, like such a, everyone seems to like have some sort of understanding of it, at least with their sun sign and maybe the moon and rising even. And so it's just a way for someone to say, I really like my environment, you know, and that we just want to talk about ourselves and connect with each other. And that's really what this stuff comes down to. And, and, my opinion. Yeah, exactly. So what really fuels your creativity amongst all the creative projects, whether it's the podcast for 10 years or all the other art that you do? You do a lot of art. I feel like the person that in LA that you described that you're like, I do pottery and I'm a filmmaker and I have a podcast and I feel like that's you. (laughs) Thank you. But I took ceramic classes, but I'm terrible. (laughs) I saw that. But like most people don't even ever take a ceramics class. You know, that's the thing. Like I would never call myself a dancer, but I was journaling this morning. And one of the things I wrote down struggling with it. And as I was journaling about it, one of the second or third things I wrote down was like, I'm a dancer and it's only because I take classes like maybe a couple times a month, maybe, but I still feel like that's what lights me up. So I'm just going to like call myself that. It doesn't mean like I dance professionally or I get paid for it because that's not necessarily your purpose. So anywho, all that to say, most people don't go to a ceramics class. (laughs) It takes a certain kind of artistic person to even show up there. So anywho, what really unlocks your creativity when you're on a coaching call coaching writers or what is the program you mentioned in process? Yeah. Well, I mean, another projector thing is I'm, I'm pretty good at seeing patterns. So I'm garbage at doing it for myself, but I'm very good for other people. So there are people who have much more, you know, social media or financial or success than I do that have come to me that I work with and that I consult with photographers and writers and doulas. And I mean, it's a really 
eclectic group of individuals. And it's my favorite thing to do is to work with them one-on-one because I'm able to say holistically like, all right, I think what's holding you back over here is feeling like, you know, I have so many ideas, but I don't have very much time. And so, okay, let's like break that down. And then I become, you know, this is an executive functioning issue, or this is like an energy management issue because I don't believe in time management, you know, like time is infinite. Like it can't be created and destroyed, but energy can be. So like there are things that give us energy. There are things that take it away. And that is the piece that I think we can try to manage. And it's challenging too, because you don't know if like that interaction with that person sometimes makes me feel really great. And I can, you know, run on the momentum of that. Sometimes it's draining. I don't know what I'm going to get. You know, we can't control that, but I think it's just staying for myself and for other people. It's like staying in this open sort of energy where you're able to relax enough to be able to get ideas and inspiration and hits of some sort of growth that you want to share and project in some way, whether it's through your full-time job or working or, you know, your pottery or whatever it is that you're making and having the energy to do that. So then that becomes like a twofold energy and nervous system management, right? It's about managing your nervous system. And that's the thing that is very challenging, you know, really in like the world that we live in, because we also have to make money and survive within capitalism and survive within like also having relationships. And so all of these things, everything is everything. A friend of mine who's a therapist, but not mine says that, right? Everything is everything. And it's true, you know, so how you're showing up in one area of life is going to impact another area of life. And that's not to say that like, everything will be balanced. It won't be. That's actually the case. You know, and if your work is really great, maybe your relationship isn't getting everything or maybe it's vice versa. Or maybe, you know, I think there's a way to just clock, like, where do I need to add some attention? Where do I need to pull some away? Is it alone time that I need to focus? Do I need to be around other people right now? Like, it's a lot of self-awareness, which is why, you know, speaking of journaling, the book I wrote is about journaling and it came out years ago. I started writing that book when I was 24. I'm so happy I picked a topic that's free that anyone can do that I still believe in that I think is really useful, you know, for for my mind and my temperament that I don't know what I'm thinking unless I'm writing and it slows me down. And so I think, you know, Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way Morning Pages was like a practice that really helped me. And, And my book is more directives around that. And I know yours is, you have a book similar to that. And I think, that's so useful, right? Because it gets you to these like corners of your mind and these pockets of your mind, as you know, that are maybe dusty and you don't want to go to. But that's sort of what I do live with people when I'm consulting with them is like, all right, well, here's an idea for you. Or have you thought about it this way? Or maybe, okay, so much time and energy is going to your morning routine, but you're feeling like you're disappointing yourself at the end of every day because you're not getting any of your work done. Why don't we flip it? Let's get all the work done, then do the exercise and thing at the end. Let's just see, just for a day, you know, like that kind of thing of like, that's your homework. So a lot of this is like, you can self-coach with yourself or you can self-consult with yourself where you're writing out like really honestly, like, what if I did this another way? Or is there another way to see this? Or what would this feel like if it were easy? 
what did I enjoy? Like, what was fun about this? And not that you can recreate that experience, but you can try to parse out like, all right, I want to do more of that in some way. And it might not even be possible. But I think that that's kind of what I try to do for myself every day. And it's different every day. You know, it's like, do I need more structure? Do I need more discipline? I need a lot of time by myself. I need a lot of time walking, but I also need like equal amount of time with other people because I start to go a little bit wild if I spend too much time by myself, unstructured. Like it's really like finding this delicate balance. And then when I really mess it up, which happens a lot, just being like, all right, you didn't do it today. Let's not beat yourself up and let's try to do better tomorrow. And you know, it's a lot, it's a lot of that. Yeah. Do you still do your morning pages? I do. Every day. Yeah. And it's not the same like three pages front, back, front that Cameron advises technically in that. And it's not always first thing in the morning, but I'll say this. I feel better when it is. I prefer it. Every time I've had a practice of that, I feel better, but I've gotten pretty loose about it. I, what I usually do now is I I go on like a really long walk in the morning and I try to get out first thing because that tends to be most useful. I'll journal when I get back or I'll just sort of write and it turns into, you know, it might start with like, everything is terrible, but then it... <laughs> So you self-soothe a little bit down the page yeah, and then it turns into sort of a to-do list or a, like, how can I try to be solution oriented around why everything is so terrible? Something like that. Or I'll wake up and like have a oddly feel good and try to ride that as much as I can. <laughs> you literally sound like my mind. <laughs> it's so fascinating listening to you because I'm like, she is me. I am her. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like we have a lot of, I'm sorry, like a lot of parallels. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry too, but it's also like where our <laughs> gifts lie. So what I'm hearing you say about creativity, kind of at the beginning of when I asked you this question, you talked about, I don't know why my brain hung on to the word relax like you almost have to like Mm -hmm. relax enough for things to come to you and there's this aspect of energy preservation and I took all these notes I'm like relax enough and then preserve your energy manage your nervous system so that the creative ideas come to you or like how would you how would you describe your personal creative flow well I think what I was the thought I probably just didn't finish there was so that you can make things like so that you can show up for the meeting so you can be present with the person in front of you so you can be useful so you can be of service so you can be interesting you know so you can all of it right I think the reason why managing your nervous system and being relaxed is useful is because it's going to allow you to be most yourself right like it's going to allow you to not be what I tend to do when I'm not relaxed, right, is be in this sort of like kinetic, like, hi, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like, I just need, I'm so sorry. Like, could I even be here? Like, have you seen Princess Hot? You know, like, that's like, I'm not relaxed in that state. Like, that's me being like, nervous system is on fire. And I'm just like, am I okay to be? Like, that's not cool. Like, no, nothing good is going to come out of that writing wise. I can tell you that much. And even like friend making wise, like no one wants to be around that. So The reason that this really comes up too is, and it's not to say that good art can't come out of pain or that can't, obviously, you know, but 
I think the actual like production of it comes out of someone like who has the wherewithal to make it in that moment. So this all came from a conversation with Isabel Fox and Duke actually years ago where I was talking to her about someone who I had just put on a pedestal as like, I kept saying cool, well, you know, like they're so cool and effortless. Like that's what I kept saying about this person that I had a crush on. And I just talked about it a ton. And she said to me something that stuck with me. And she was like, listen, what you're observing in him. And then it was like a bunch of people after that, that kind of had that quality to me, that like mysterious, elusive quality where I'm just like, I'm warm. I'm not cool. Like I'm warm. I am an open book. I am this like, I'm never going to be this like mystique of a Olsen twin that I always wanted to be when I was like, you know, younger and (laughs) yesterday, you know, and, (laughs) and she was like, listen, what you're observing in these people is that they have a relaxed nervous system that like in that moment that you're seeing them, their nervous system is relaxed. Like they don't give a fuck, you know, they're just like kind of around. They're able to like be in their body. They're able to listen to you and like be really present with you in that moment. Like they may never text you back, but like they're there. And that is so attractive and creative and they're able to show up for themselves and they they're not overthinking things or second guessing and they're not in their heads about the interaction. You know, they're managing their nervous system and they have a relaxed nervous system. And I just so admired that because it's not my, and I think again, too, this might be like, there's like a grief to this for me too. I think there is like a eating disorder thing with this truly. Like, I think there's something about someone who, you know, we're, we tend to be in that time, right? Like, you get very good at ignoring your body. You get very good at disassociating. And so that sort of is my default. So that's why the relaxed nervous system, because all that that really is, and Isabel is so good at this, and because her work is around that too, I just don't think those two things are unrelated. And, And I think what Isabel is saying is like, what's happening in your body? Like, are you anxious? Are you obsessing about something because you're disassociating about something else? Like self-awareness, like that's kind of where that all comes down from. That is really profound. Yeah. The disassociation and anxiety that comes from struggling with food for so long is the polar opposite of that regulated nervous system that comes with being (laughs) cool. I'm telling you, you're my brain. I'm laughing so hard because you are my brain because you're not on TikTok. I'm going to tell you about a TikTok that I saw that was like, I want to be cool and mysterious, but I just can't shut the fuck up. (laughs) You got to send that to me. That is me. That's I know. But you know, then this is like the whole other thing too. It's like part of that is true with what I said, like of, I do admire, you know, we'll just say for the this conversation, like that person that I was talking about and the the coolness of that, of the intrigue and the there, there's something, of course, like I am jealous a bit of the ability to not give a fuck, you know? Like I think that's really admirable in some ways, but in other ways, I think like, you know what? I remember people's names really well, you know, and I Yes, I might spiral and I might like overthink an interaction, but I try to 
be really genuine and, and present with people. And I try to, I think there's an acceptance of my warmth that I'm trying for that has come up in the last couple of years too, where there's this incredible art book by Sophie Colley, the artist. And my friend gave it to me for my birthday a couple of years ago. And it's an incredible concept. She got broken up with an email and she sent that email to 100, I think, women for them to interpret it in some sort of art, right? So somebody made a a lawyer, like went through it and like talked about it in that context, like a editor, like edited everything in red and someone made a dance, like every sort of medium. And one of the ones was from a teenager and it was just like a text that said, he thinks that he is cool. (laughs) And that's my favorite one because it it reminds me of like this whole thing of like warm versus cool. It's like, I just have to accept that like, that is what I'm going to be. And like projector too. It's like, I might not be the one like making the music or making the art, but I'm quite good at bringing people together. The best use of me is me like genuinely going down a wormhole with something and getting so into it and then sharing that with people who want to hear it, you know, and that, that the second part is like key, you know, on like bringing together groups of people who want to hear it and us sharing and listening to each other and making other people feel seen and recognized. And that's a quality that I think requires a little bit of that overthinking and a little bit of that. Like, so to throw it all out, it's like, it's like having a light with the dark. The cool, the warm. Yes. Yeah. And embracing the shadow. And and I was going to say that I think there's beauty to being warm because I personally get home from social events and I talk about the person who was warm. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, they were so warm and easy to talk to. And I saw so much of myself in them. Like, that's kind of who I gravitate toward. But I definitely see the attraction to cool individuals as well. I really love how you said, did you say my friend's therapist says this? Yeah. Okay. Cause I also have a line that my friend's therapist says because <laughs> she, she brings it up so much. It's about how every time I'm like, how are you this way? Like, I really love that you do this. And she'll be like, oh, it's the positive byproduct of anxiety. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and I really like how she said that. Cause I think that something like anxiety, for example, I'm not saying you have anxiety, but something like anxiety, for example, it was developed as like a survival mechanism and it did serve a certain purpose like from a survival aspect like it actually is a pretty useful skill to be like hyper attuned to your surroundings and to think of all possible future scenarios and all of that so I think that like you said that shadow can also be channeled toward the light too well, it's funny you said anxiety. So I co-host a second podcast. I started it a couple of years ago called Spiraling about anxiety. So in Serena, my co-host on that, she says that all the time. Like, I think we maybe did a whole episode on like what is good about having anxiety and like how it actually changed both of our lives, like for the better. And I think we need that because there's a lot of challenges to it as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think people need to see like the light kind of in the things that they beat themselves up about. Well, Katie, thank you so much for this well-rounded and insightful conversation about all the things. It felt like we were just sitting in a room together, drinking tea and chit-chatting, and I could keep doing it all afternoon. I know, me too. I'm so happy that we get to keep talking and you're going to do my show. Woohoo! <laughs> Let's do it. So part two. <laughs> part two to come. Well, of course, we are forward in time and you've already heard part two. 
and part one, but I actually have a little bit more I'm going to put at the end here, which I cut out and it's me telling what I do in a really long form sort of way and how I got into to what I'm doing and why. And I thought it might be really boring for some of you who have been here through it all. You don't need to hear it, but if you're somewhat new here, welcome. Hi, I'm Katie. <laughs> You'll hear more in a second. Or, you know, if you want to just reminisce, it's coming. But thank you so much for being here. This podcast is edited by my incredible friend, Brianna Bain. If you want to listen to her on the show, she was on a couple weeks ago. And I hope, I hope, I hope, Brie, will you come back again? I hope so. We can start a campaign. And I have some really cool episodes I've been recording and I'm so excited for you to hear. And like I said, and Mary shared too, which was so nice and probably honestly better coming from her, but the creative clinic is open. <laughs> I have one spot and what it is, is a made up name for what I do, but I help writers to write and podcasters to speak and musicians to play and ceramicists to spin the wheel and chefs to cook. And really it's about making progress even incrementally in the projects that people want to be making because that creates momentum. And I help people in sessions by providing accountability or encouragement or both as needed. I notice patterns, I give homework, we brainstorm solutions for career dissatisfaction, creative blocks, procrastination, or version of all three. And really, you know, I can be an anchor for someone to hold on to throughout change. And I really love doing it, whatever you call it. My goal is to be useful. And I believe we're meant to nurture each other and support each other. And this is one way that I do so. And so I decided to adapt the word clinic to what I do here after I was visiting my really close friend, Aaron, who you might know if you listen to this podcast, but Aaron's an incredible herbalist and functional medicine doctor. And when I was visiting her and her husband, Noah, in Australia right before the pandemic, I was there while she was doing her online clinic and seeing patients back to back to back. And I overheard a little bit, you know, I wasn't listening or anything, but I could just hear her care. I admired her gentle demeanor and her deep listening and her aim to really help people. And my aim is to help creatively care for people and give that same level of bedside manner that Erin provided in her herbal care to people around creativity and around making things that they want to make and hitting all their notes creatively whether it's you know someone who is a designer or someone who became a new mom. I've had just such an array of people, photographers, songwriters, an HR executive, a sales rep, a new mom between careers, a cafe owner, a recent college graduate, an astrologer, a high school teacher. I, I love all these people so much. It's like, honestly makes me cry, but there's more about them and, and testimonials. And, you know, I'm really an open book and will share all of my successes and failures and everything that I've learned and help 
The people I work with notice blind spots because often we are too close to our own projects to see. So I help uncover limiting beliefs that potentially hold people back from taking creative risks. And I love to do that because the creative process is messy. And when we're down, other people can pick us up. It's not usually just anyone. It's someone you feel comfortable with and you can relate to and someone who you feel safe enough to allow to hold your tender projects before they're fully baked. And know it's going to be safe and so i'm really good at being that sounding board to process experiences with and blend personal and professional because i believe everything is everything and i also you know my approach is really easy does it there are no hacks <laughs> it's often slow it's gentle but i help you figure out which ideas you want to work with and which ones we want to save and put in the ice box and come back to maybe you're moving to a new city and we're going to work on that <laughs> or maybe you're starting a substack or a podcast or you're pitching an essay or you're starting a new project at work i have gotten to be behind the scenes with people doing so many different things whether you want to come in for a tune-up if you're in a rut let's let's talk about whether or not I would be the best person to support you. I might not be, but if you want to get on the phone, we can talk it out and I might be like, you know what, this is out of my depth. I think you might need to talk to this person or this therapist or this sort of practice and I can point you in the right direction or maybe I'm, I'm the one for the job. We'll see, we'll talk it out. So my availability for doing that is in the link and you can get on the waitlist if it if the spot fills up and you want to do this just get on the waitlist and we'll make a spot for you whenever it's the right time and we'll figure out a way to make it work thank you so much for listening here's a little bit more about me like i said if you've been here for a while and you heard all of this and you're all set i'll talk to you next week but if you're curious here you go basically mary asks me some version of what do you do? And she tells a really funny story about freezing when someone asked her recently what she did, her neighbor. I'll put that at the very end of this, a little clip of it so you can hear that. But anyway, this is my about me very long-windedly from her podcast. So if you happen to have come here a bit later and you're like, who is this person and how did she get here? And, you know, instead of having to go right way back to figure it out, here, here's me telling it. All right. Love you so much. Really cool episodes coming up these next couple weeks. So I hope you stick around. I started a blog that was very much about wellness when I was in college, a solid 10, over 10 years ago, right? So I was doing that while I was in school. And the reality of the situation was that I had an eating disorder, you know, but I was like talking about wellness in this very earnest way. But again, this is like 2010, 2011, and I'm from Michigan. So in the Midwest, like we didn't even have a Whole Foods where I grew up, you know, like this was sort of my rebellion. Like I was able to be raw, vegan, gluten-free, sugar-free, AKA like eating nothing. Right. But it was like, you know, I asked for a Vitamix as my 
graduation present from college. Like, and all my aunts and uncles like pooled their money together for this like very expensive blender. Like it was all so wild, but then it was very clear, like, okay, she is unwell, you know? And I'm sure you and your recovery, like have spoken about this, but it was this outward expression of a very internal mental health issue, right? Like the, the first one. And and I'm so grateful that that happened to me relatively young because it got me into therapy for the first time. Like I had like a very vague understanding of what therapy even was, you know, but, and here I am learning about myself and my situation of, of people around me and understanding myself better. And it, it also got me very, very into self-help and spirituality. I was also teaching yoga at the time. So I, I do graduate from college and I'm I'm teaching yoga and blogging this wellness blog and I'm in recovery from an eating disorder. And I wanted to do just those things, but I wanted to leave the small town where I grew up. And that was like my like number one priority. So just a means to an end, I like got a job, like a full-time job. They let me work remotely and they were based in New York and let me work remotely. So I moved to Detroit from where I was living and I was working full-time, doing the blog, doing the teaching of yoga. And then I interned for this like very famous self-help book author and motivational speaker. And I just was like enamored by this deprogramming and like a lot of like guilt and shame and it was really useful for me at the time. And, and I, I don't know how much of it I was integrating. I think a lot, a lot of it was just spiritual entertainment, you know, of just like watching these like videos and it was very alluring and to the point where you, you are the sum of who you're around. And so I was so immersed in that world. And at the time it wasn't what it was now. It was a little bit more now it, it's so sort of everywhere and it it wasn't as much 10 years ago and wellness definitely was was not what it is now and i've eventually started a podcast to basically talk to people about this sort of thing and and have conversations to get an hour of someone's time like like you were saying it was very self-serving it was very much like how can i talk to these people for free and get you know i didn't care that people were listening like it was all for me but then eventually you know people like yourself like did find it and and were listening and i and then i think the thing that really brought people to it was my openness and vulnerability like about my eating disorder at all and like about the nuance of it that was orthorexia now we know that term more but at the time like i i don't think it was in the DSM. And I don't even think a lot of people understood that that was even because wellness was so new at the time. So to be like overly obsessive about something. And I, and I had that, that was kind of my phase two of my eating disorder. It was more like traditionally anorexic. The healing was a ortho, which I think is a, a trend. It was a really meaningful time where I shifted from wellness to sort of more esoteric spiritual stuff and then became almost anti-wellness. Like really just like, this is not only is it like not interesting to me anymore. I think it's like damaging to me. So then my content really in the last 10 years of the show, it's been whatever I'm interested in has been the theme. Like when I'm genuinely curious about what's happening in front of me and the whether it's the podcast or what I'm writing... And that's always best. And so anyway, my content really shifted from being wellness focused to being about making your life as a whole better creatively, whether that's, you know, through body image and 
recovery and like kind of washing some of these myths around wellness at a time where it was just amping up and your work, which is so important, you know, around body image. And, and so then I was interviewing people who really were instrumental in helping me in, in that world. And that's funny that you said you went back because I make it a point to have these people on like again every single year. Christy Harrison, who has an incredible podcast called Food Psych, who I'm sure you know, and Isabel Fox and Duke. And they're both very, very close friends of mine now. And every year they come on at least once or or twice. And there's another person named Savala Nolan who I met through them, who's the same, like just talking to her always is soothing. And it's like a tune-up. Like those topics are so relevant to me because eating disorder recovery and my relationship to my body and eating is complex and it still is. And it's something that I feel like I need to tune myself up in again and again and again, but it evolved beyond that. And I ended up like writing a self-help book and I ended up, you know, moving and, and my interests changed. And, and now, you know, I was saying to you, it's, it's going to be 10 years of the show in March. And and with that, you know, I write a newsletter, I do consulting with individuals and, and brands. I was getting so many questions of like, kind of similar to that email you were saying, I've just been sort of following whatever I've been interested in, but to grow it and to scale it, you know, I do think there's like, I have to evolve and like maybe what I was doing and worked really, really well, not when I started, but maybe in like two years ago or three years ago, like just doesn't work now, which is a whole different skill set than like, interviewing, you know, so it's like, there's just a lot of different hats that you have to wear when you're doing something like what we're doing. And I'm not good at wearing all of them or very many of them, honestly. (laughs) Because we had new neighbors move in right next door and she's this really successful doctor and they have two kids and it's kind of like the perfect little thing. And they're like, so what do you do? And I'm like, okay. I deadass looked her in the eyes and I said, I don't work. I don't know why I said that. I don't know why. And Stan looked over at me and he's like, and I'm like, well, what I really wanted to say is 